it's vitalist medicine. It's looking at the whole being at the body, mind and spirit and kind of coming together with all of that to find remedies for people. Hello, friends. Welcome to Medicine Stories. Episode 33. I'm Amber Magnolia Hill, and I'm glad you're here. Um, Big news around here. It just started raining a few minutes ago. I am in Northern California. I'm about an hour away from the campfire, and I cannot begin to put into words the relief of fire season being over and of just knowing that my house isn't going to burn down this year (laughs) for the next six months at least, maybe longer, hopefully, hopefully much, much longer. Um, It just, it's so welcome. It's so needed. The land will be so happy. And I just am feeling a lot of deep joy and gratitude right now. And um, I wasn't able to really speak about the fire when I recorded the last podcast intro because I was just kind of frozen in fear around everything. And uh, I did an Instagram post about it last week. I'm mythic medicine there if you want to check that out. But you know, suffice it to say, it's just terrifying, terrifying living in this tinderbox and knowing at any moment it can wake up in the middle of the night and the flames are at your door. Um, it's always been my biggest fear since I was a tiny child to burn to death. And I, I don't even like thinking about it. I don't even like saying those words out loud and that it's such a reality now for so many millions of people on the West Coast it's just so scary. And of course I acknowledge that my my fear and my terror over the last couple of weeks are nothing, nothing compared to the hundreds of thousands of people affected by what happened in paradise and the surrounding areas and in Southern California as well. And all the previous fires and all the future fires, it's just so, so intense. Um, If you're interested in all this, I really recommend a recent episode of the For the Wild podcast. I think it's called like Myths and Misinformation about Wildfire, something like that. Uh, It's really, really great and gives a much bigger sort of ecological framework for these wildfires. Um, As well as tips for, you know, protecting your home if you're in this area. My husband Owen and I have done a lot, a lot, a lot of fire preparedness around our home and will continue to do so. Um, so today, today I'm talking with Anya Robinson. Anya is a truly gifted herbalist and uh, I love this episode because it gets really, really like technical and um, scientific and just uh, full of really practical advice around herbalism and around health for people in female bodies. Uh, We talk about a lot of good stuff. Let me tell you about the giveaway we're doing first though. So on Patreon at patreon.com slash medicine stories, we're doing a big giveaway for a hundred dollar gift certificate to Anya's shop, Mana Medicinals as well as a $100 gift certificate to my shop, Mythic Medicinals. So $200 altogether you can win um, just by being a Patreon supporter at the $2 level. 
So head over there and check that out and please enter and be a part of it. Um, Anya and I talk a little bit about birth in this episode and she mentions my birth story for my youngest, Nixie, born two years ago. And I just want to say, if you want to check that out, it is at my website, mythicmedicine.love. And I would just go to that homepage and type birth into the search bar at the top of that page there. I also have my oldest, my 12-year-old's birth story up there. It was the first blog post I ever wrote was that birth story in 2006. And seriously, if I hadn't posted that, I probably wouldn't be doing this now. That got me into blogging. It introduced me to a whole bunch of people who I'm still friends with and that just, you know, one step after another segued really into me doing what I am doing now here with this podcast. So um, I also want to let you know that Anya and I are going to record a second interview because there was so much more I wanted to talk about both in terms of herbalism and Anya's personal life. Um, there's some, she's got some big story medicine around the death of her mother and her past as a drug abuser. And I mean, just incredible what she has been through and how she has ended up doing what she's doing now. So I really wanted to get more into that. And it just seemed like the only way to possibly do that was to record a second interview. So that'll be coming out soon. Stay tuned for that. Oh, and the uh, Patreon giveaway will end on the winter solstice. Gives everyone enough time to listen to this episode or maybe the next one and, um, and enter. And then whoever wins will get many medicines in the mail a little bit after Christmas, which I think is nice because, you know, it's disappointing after Christmas. It's kind of a letdown, right? So set yourself up to receive something awesome, possibly, if you win. Um, Okay, the things that Anya and I talk about today, I want to do this in the intro because it's a lot. It's, um, yeah, it's just a lot of good stuff. And I want you to keep listening to get all this info. So just so you know, and keep, keep this podcast going today. Uh, We talk about the intersection between herbalism and functional medicine. Why the deeply embedded idea in herbalism of just live like your grandmother's lived and you'll be healthy just doesn't work anymore in these modern times. Um, Health confusion and information overload. A name is a prayer. The meaning of Anya's name and how it ties into her life path. The gateway of birth and the role of a birth attendant. And then we get into understanding the complex dance of women's hormones and what we can do to create better hormonal health. We talk about digestion, the liver, PMS, headaches, bloating, cramps, water retention, breaking out, PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids, toxic overload, xenoestrogens, and so much more. Stuff that, like I say in this interview, has just always been hard for me to grasp, wrap my mind around, but Anya's got it. Um, the importance of the lymphatic system, which cannot be overstated the insanity of the truly toxic products that are marketed to women as real femininity. Uh, We talk about Rosemary Gladstar's idea of don't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't put in your mouth. And then we get into a deep dive into breast health, um, reframing self-exams, knowing the terrain of your own body, what to look for and what not to worry about, and the flexibility of breast tissue. (laughs) She talks about 
her teacher saying like tenderize that meat <laughs> which is funny um so gosh i just really think that any person with breasts vulva uterus the whole situation of having what we have historically called a woman's body um should listen to this podcast and anya and i do just simplify everything by using the word woman and women and we understand that not all people who have this anatomy identify as women and hope that you will understand us and forgive that we just chose um, simplicity while speaking about this and the language is ever-changing and it's hard to know what to say without making someone possibly feel offended or omitted and that is not our intention at all. I also wanted to mention that Anya talks about her ebook about breast health, and you can find that just by going to her website, um, mana, M-A-N-A, medicinals.net, and you can download her ebook there, which is awesome. So I think that's it. Let us proceed with this interview um, with Anya Robinson. But first, the bio, I always almost forget the bio. Anya Robinson is a founder of Mana Medicinals, a small business focused around embodied wellness for women. She's a clinical herbalist, holistic nutrition consultant, woman's health educator, and full-spectrum birth doula with extensive training in Ayurvedic medicine. Anya is passionate about women's health and believes that it is every woman's birthright to have access to a healthy lifestyle in sync with the body's natural rhythms. She believes in the body's innate capacity for healing and a woman's own intuition around her well-being. She helps empower women to take back their health through body literacy and syncing with their natural cycles. She has woven a tapestry of healing that bridges the scientific with the spiritual and the clinical with the intuitive. That is so true. I just love that about her. This unique perspective of women's health is steeped in many different traditions. Weaving together Ayurveda, traditional Western herbalism, functional nutrition, and intuitive womb wisdom. Anya believes that healing is elemental, and through exploring the ways in which the elements are expressed in each woman's individual constitution, insight is gained into the pathways toward optimal health. She is passionate about whole foods nutrition, botanical medicine, and sustainability for bodies and lifestyles, as well as for the earth. Anya's handcrafted botanicals, women's wellness mentorships, and workshops represent a compassionate system of healing, helping women, families, and communities lead healthy, vibrant lives in harmony with our sacred ecosystems. All right, how great does that sound? Let's talk to Anya. Hey, hi Anya, welcome to Medicine Stories. Hi, Amber. So happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that we're talking because having this interview coming up, um, you know, I did what I always do and I did kind of a deep dive of your website and your writings and your offerings and was reminded that you're a deeply knowledgeable, like super smart, well-trained, like clinical herbalist. And that's something that I am not (laughs) in a lot of ways. I've done a lot of research and learning, but um, you just like, you've got really specific knowledge about certain body systems and um, this sort of clinical, what's, what's that kind of medicine, um, functional medicine background, right? Yeah. Which I love. I've been saying lately, like, I swear if I could go back again, I'd still be into herbalism, but I'd really want to like go into functional medicine. So 
Well, okay, let's just start there and then we'll get into more personal stuff. But like, how did you come to be doing what you're doing and how do you merge those two? Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of, it's been such an interesting progression. I really, you know, started on the herbal path and was really called to clinical herbalism and just the way Let's maybe define what clinical herbalism too is too. Yeah, just a little bit more. I was really interested in body systems and understanding how things work and standardizing my medicine. And really, um, you know, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And so the way that my brain works, I really want to kind of pick apart every little thing and understand the way that it works. And I love working with plants and working with people, but I wanted to be able to help people on a deeper level. I mean, I love giving someone a tea or a tincture, but I was, I've always been really, really interested in root cause medicine and kind of looking at the bigger picture. And um, to me, clinical herbalism is getting a little bit deeper than just giving this plant for that symptom. It's kind of understanding the body and the systems on a deeper level and really looking at root cause and how to kind of it's vitalist medicine. It's looking at the whole being at the body, mind, and spirit and kind of coming together with all of that to find remedies for people. I think about it too, like just the word clinical. It's like you're working one-on-one with people. You are like in the, in it with other people. You know, I don't work one-on-one with people. I kind of take in information, synthesize it in my own way and then disseminate it. But I'm not sitting across from another human being, like taking their case history and learning and experimenting and learning as I go through people and through the years, what really works and how the, what these larger patterns are. Yeah. And I think that's something for me that's been really, um, I love that herbalism is not standardized. They don't want it to become standardized. But within that, there's a part of me that has really fought to be taken seriously and that the knowledge that I have is real. So that's part of the path that brought me deeper into nutrition and deeper into functional medicine is kind of exploring a little bit more of the Western realm and kind of diving deeper into body systems and anatomy and physiology and um, the process of different disease pathologies and kind of being able to understand Western jargon. And also a lot of my clients are, are working with whether it be just a regular Western doctor or they're working with a naturopath or they have some other primary care that they're working with. And I wanted to be able to work alongside those people and to kind of help make the information that they're getting from their primary care um, more accessible and more understandable to them. And so that's kind of was a lot of my drive to get into more of the functional medicine model. And to me, it just really Uh, resonates and makes a lot of sense. And it's very based on root cause and looking at the whole person. And as one of my teachers calls it, she calls it the total ecology of women's health. And I really love that kind of analogy because our, you know, our bodies really are this whole ecology and we have to take into consideration our emotional and physical and spiritual. Those aspects play such a huge role, not just what's going on physically. So define functional medicine for us. 
Well, functional medicine, I would say it's definitely, um, it's kind of based on more new cutting edge research. It's definitely very heavily science-based. Um, and they do look at a lot of testing, which, you know, I, I believe we have to take with a grain of salt because we can look at all of the tests, but we also have to remember that there's a person in front of us. And sometimes these tests are really new and they don't line up with what we're seeing in front of us. So functional medicine is, is really just kind of um, a deep dive into body systems and root cause medicine. And it is, um, it is based on a lot of really current scientific data. So I think that's something that is really great about it is there's a lot of st clinical studies coming out and functional medicine is a it's really integrative so it blends holistic therapies it blends nutrition herbal medicine it's kind of um it's looking at all of the different forms of medicine that are out there and kind of pulling from all of them which i like yeah it seems like this perfect meeting place and interface of so many different areas of study and like you're speaking about with the testing, it um, it seems like a really like metrics-based approach to health. It is. And I think that's why I love blending it with herbalism, which is so much more like feminine to me and more, you know, kind of um, intuitive and, and just, you know, you can really feel into someone. And so I think that it's a, it's a good blend of my brain because I have that really um, you know, right brain, scientific, nitty gritty aspect to how I like to understand things. And then I love what herbalism brings and what plant spirit medicine brings and really being able to connect with people and, and teach them to connect with plants and heal their bodies on that realm. So to me, it was kind of the perfect blend of wanting to satisfy my science nerd and bring a little bit more validity into kind of what I was talking about with clients and also being able to chat with people's naturopaths and doctors and understand the languaging that they were using and understanding um, maybe the testing or the medications or any of the different things that they were doing so then I could be able to help um, my clients understand that because I don't think that there's a big language uh kind of bridge between what's happening in the Western model. And then when you go and see your doctor, you have no idea what they're really talking about. So just kind of wanting to create a bridge there for women between uh, wanting to heal themselves naturally and still knowing when they need something more and they need to be working with the primary care. So Mm -hmm. I think for a long time, the sort of dominant narrative and herbalism, which is valid in its own way and that I really subscribed to for a long time has been um, you know just live like your grandmother's lived just eat nourishing food and take whole herbs and everything will be fine and um, that's just not true anymore in the modern world with the toxic load that we are all constantly exposed to so I've really in the last couple of years come around to a place of so highly valuing, um, you know, the metrics, the tests, the really like deep clinical dives into each individual's health, because we're all dealing with different things, manifesting it in different ways, autoimmune issues, hormonal imbalance, there's so much there. So I just I love that you're doing this. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I mean, obviously I always start with nutrition and with whole foods and whole herbs, but sometimes we really are at a place in our culture where our soil health is just, even if we're farming organically, you know, maybe we're not getting the amount of nutrients in our foods that our ancestors were able to get in the foods that they grew in the mm -hmm. soil. And with the our stress load and toxic load there's some things like even if you were to eat the best most whole foods organic based diet we still might not be hitting kind of where we need to with certain nutrients in this day and age because we just can't get them from our foods the way you, we used to be able to so it's been an interesting journey for me as well because I used to be really anti-supplement Mm -hmm. And I'm still very cautious when I do use them. And I really, uh, if I decide to use them, there's a very good reason why. But there's certain things, especially as women, that it's really important to be supplementing in this day and age, just so we can literally have all of the building blocks we need to have all of our body processes be working in a healthy way. Exactly. And yeah, even if you are eating all organic food, um, as I've been doing for at least 15 years now, I you know, still have health issues and will continue to. Um, glyphosate is in at least 75% of the air we breathe and 75% of the rain that falls down in this country. And that disrupts, you know, the, the normal pathways in our bodies and how we take in nutrients, like you were saying. So the soils are depleted of nutrients and then our body is like absorb absorptive, um, that's not the word, I always say that word, pathways are being disrupted. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just, I think we're having to take it one day at a time and just constantly adjust because there's no way to really know how to navigate through this. It's really new territory. And I think that's where some of these testings can be really helpful for women that are having, you know, they're doing all the right dietary things. They're living natural lifestyles and they're still like not feeling good and they don't understand what's going on. And sometimes taking a little deeper dive at what's happening in the body can really just give us kind of a jumping off point. So then they can move forward and figure out what the next steps are. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a strange new world. And it's confusing. You know, it's so many people have food confusion. I've talked about this on the podcast a lot, myself included, you know, I'm like, no, this is the best way to eat now this I'm into this diet now. And wait, now that's bad for me. And it's confusing. It's because there's such an information overload and things are changing so rapidly. Exactly. And you know, that's one reason. Um, another reason that I kind of moved into doing this sort of mentorship model with women is to help kind of navigate that. Because if you do go on the internet, you are told 20 million different things about what to eat and what's healthy. And for me, what was really helpful in that was, um, was studying Ayurveda and really understanding constitution and people's constitutions and kind of where they're at has really helped me because you know, I could be eating a certain way that's really balancing and nourishing for me. And then you try to, I give you my regimen and it totally throws you off balance because you have a totally different constitution than I do. So there's something in that ancient system of understanding our doshas and understanding the underlying elements that are at play in our bodies that can really help us to make proper decisions with our diets. And of course, that's going to change throughout the cycles of our life and throughout the different seasons and throughout the 
like different seasons of being a woman. And so it's constantly shifting and, and it's, we're constantly moving towards balance. Balance is not something that we ever fully achieve. Once we get there, then something is going to shift again. So mm, that's such a good perspective. Um, okay. Let's just pull back a minute and talk about an aspect of your personal mythology that I found really neat. And then we'll get back into this because it's sort of related. Um, I would tell us about your name, about the name Anya, A-N-J-A. So um, my mother is from Germany and it is a pretty common German name. And I'm, you know, my mother had passed away about nine years ago. So I never really got a chance to ask her about why she named me that. I wasn't that interested in it before the time that she passed, but just doing kind of my own research and kind of looking into what that name means. Um, it actually means mother in Hungarian, um, which I have found really interesting because that's been one of the really deeply underlying archetypes um, that I've played out in my life. I feel like I'm, I'm very much a mothering person. Um, I have a heart tattooed on my chest that says mama. Like an and actual human heart. Actual human <laughs> Anatomically heart. correct. <laughs> and um, I, I just think that it's, it's so interesting, our names and kind of how, um, you know, I believe that a name is a prayer. It's a, it's a spell, you know, it's, it's holds so much power and not really knowing much about my name. And then in the past, I don't know, you know, five, 10 years, just looking deeper into that. Um, I just found that really interesting because I really think it speaks to who I am on a really deep level. Well, that's really neat. And then you, the main focus of your work is with women's health and you provide doula services. You do um, placenta encapsulations Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and I do. Yeah. Yeah. Sorts. You work with you work with mothers on a really super important level. Um. I, yeah. I'd love to hear more about like what drew you to working with women, um, especially with mothers, and if I may ask, if you would like to be a mother yourself someday. Yeah. Um. Well, you know, I think for a long time I was just you know, doing herbalism and I didn't really have a focus and was feeling a little bit lost in that because it's just a huge topic and I needed something to focus on. And, and I was really stressing out for a long time about like, what's my niche? What am I going to do? And I just kept having women show up and kept having women saying, oh, I'm having a problem with my cycle or like I'm having such bad cramps or a lot of my friends started getting pregnant and it just over the course of about a year, it really just became clear to me that the people that were really showing up and needing my help were women. And I've always been um, totally obsessed with birth and pregnancy. And I definitely really want to be a mother. Um, and so, you know, the more that I kind of looked into it, the more that I realized that women are really such an underserved population and there's so many health issues that we're dealing with and there's so much lack of education around uh, our bodies and kind of like the deeper ways that some of our, our 
cycles work and um, also pregnancy and postpartum. I just, when I really started diving into that, there's such a lack of education and lack of good information out there for pregnancy nutrition and postpartum care. And so I really just kind of saw the opportunity and um, it's it's just been a bit of a wormhole from there. <laughs> um, how... How has it been attending births? How many have you been to? Like, what is that? What is that like? I, I just want to say, like, giving birth is so intense um, that it actually made me like not really want to be present when other women do it because I was just like, it's too big. That energy, I, I could handle it in my own body pretty well, but I don't know if I could like witness another person. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it definitely <laughs> makes sense. I was so nervous for my first birth. I'm I really only got into birth work um for the last couple years, so I've only been at um a few births. But the first birth that I was present for was one of my best friends actually. And um you know, I one of my mentors, she talks about being a doula is really being a gatekeeper for life. You know, you're really kind of standing at that at that doorway between life and death and sometimes most of the time it's life but not always and and it is really big it's huge but I think there's just something for me that feels so intuitive in that space and there's such an opportunity to just hold space and witness a woman in her deepest sense of her own power and to really just be able to hold space and make sure that she's able to stay in that power and not be disrupted by anyone else who's not understanding or aware of the power that she's harnessing within herself through that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like birth is this, this portal, this gateway, like you said, and as a birth worker, you're kind of at the gateway between the woman and then the rest of the world, right? It's, it's, yeah, your job to sort of create that safe space for her to be in. Um, yeah, especially and if it's in a hospital or clinical setting. Exactly, where you can just help remind them, you know, that they get to make the decisions and that they know what their body needs and that they don't need anyone else to tell them what they need or what they ought to do. And, and really, you know, it's just beautiful to watch women step into that role. And it's such a beautiful transition from maiden to mother. And it's, it's just really powerful to be able to hold space for a woman in that place. And I think I was really scared before my first birth. I was like, oh my gosh, am I going to like this? Am I going to be able to do this? And um, after after watching um, the first baby come into the world, like I said, it was my best friend. So it was a really beautiful, beautiful birth at this birthing center. And um, I mean, I was just bawling. It was the most beautiful thing that I'd ever witnessed. And in that moment, I was like, okay, this is definitely, I'm into this. <laughs> <laughs> I always cry reading birth stories or uh, watching births. You know, every time I see a birth, like sometimes on Instagram, you know, I follow different birth accounts and I'll be scrolling through and a baby pops out and I'm just like suddenly sobbing. <laughs> oh, <yeah. That's> <laughs> With my own birth, I was just like, oh, the actual first words out of my mouth after my now two-year-old was born were, fuck giving birth. 
<laughs> I remember reading your birth story and I definitely cried and looking at all those beautiful photos that you have. I just, you know, it's such a beautiful story and it's so perfect in the way that it is for every woman. You know, I think the hardest thing for women is, is that we maybe think that we know the way we want things to go or um, we want to kind of control it. And, and part of it is just this like really deep surrender mm-hmm. allowing the birth to be, you know, what, what it's going to be. And there's, and we can do so much to control it. But then at a certain point, we just have to fully surrender to the moment. And that's big. That's so big. Yeah. It's just the deepest relinquishing of control going through that process um so let's let's stick with women's health here you know so I find hormones so confusing like endocrinology I just cannot wrap my mind around it no matter how much I read I'm like I still don't get it um and you seem to have like a really uh you nailed it you got it so I was looking through your blog this morning and You talk about um, estrogen, excessive estrogen, and, um, you know, and about iron deficiency. I liked those two articles a lot. So those are kind of different issues. But, like, what do you see clinically going on with women's health most often? What are really frequent issues that are facing, like, modern, mostly American, where we're living women? Well, you know, the estrogen dominance, you kind of hit that one on the head, just bringing that up. Um, That is just such a big, it's such a big issue with women in this day and age. And, you know, our hormones are very complex. And I've spent a lot of time reading books and I've studied it from different teachers and listened to a million lectures. And there's times where I'm still, my head is spinning because it's so, so complex. And our estrogen and progesterone are constantly doing this dance um, where they need to be in balance. And there's so many things that are present in our daily realities that are kind of um, messing up this balance between our estrogen and progesterone. So a couple um, of the things that I talk about a lot because I do a lot of, um, I teach a lot about breast health and about the lymphatic system. And so within that um, lens of looking at our hormones, there's a few different ways that our estrogen can get really out of balance. And one of those ways is um, our lymphatic system is, is really our body's natural detoxification system. It's where all of our cellular metabolites and kind of byproducts of all of our hormones and everything, that is how they leave the body is through the lymphatic system. Um, And the the strings into the blood, and then that goes to the liver where we process it, and then things leave the body. So a big thing that's happening in our culture is is just stagnation in general and stagnation of lymph and our lymphatic system it doesn't have a pump like the circulatory system does so it relies on exercise or physical manipulation like dry brushing or using a gua sha or abhyanga oil massage Somehow um, moving our blood and our lymph physically is the only way that it moves. So, you know, we live in a culture where we sit in the car a lot or we sit at 
maybe people are sitting at a desk or they're just busy in their lives and they're not getting enough exercise. So all of these hormone kind of byproducts are sitting in the lymphatic system. And if they don't move out quickly enough, then they actually become begin to be reabsorbed. And so that can actually throw off our estrogen progesterone balance because those um, that estrogen, which is trying to leave the body after our cycle is um, is over and we're kind of starting a new cycle right after our menstrual um, period, then all of those hormones need to leave the body. And if we're not moving, we're actually reabsorbing those old hormones that are trying to leave. And that can also happen, um, that's also really tied into digestion. So one of the ways that um, once things do move through the lymphatic system that they can come out of the body is, is through um, urine and through our stool. And so if we are constipated, if our diet isn't great and we're not um, having enough bowel movements every day, then the same thing can happen. The estrogen actually um, can get reabsorbed through the walls of the colon. And at that point, the liver has started to break down the estrogen and it's in a different form than it was initially. And it's actually in a form that's more toxic to our bodies. So if we're not having good digestion and we're not moving things through quick enough, then we're reabsorbing this more toxic form of estrogen and then it throws off our um, our balance of estrogen and progesterone. And just to give an example, some of the, the big issues that a lot of women face, basically all PMS symptoms are related to estrogen dominance. So headache, floating, water retention, cramps, um, breaking out on, on like around the chin area on the face. Um, we all like PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, endometriosis, sometimes fibroids. A lot of these are related to estrogen and estrogen dominance. So a lot of kind of symptoms that women are experiencing within their reproductive system actually have to do with this balance. So it's a, it's a really big topic and the other issue that's really coming into play here is environmental toxins and xenoestrogens. So basically these are chemical substances that are out in the world. They can be in plastics, they can be in, you know, glyphosate or chemically sprayed agriculture or meats or, um, you know, household cleaning products, all these different places. But these are basically substances that are endocrine disruptors that um, once they go into our body, they actually bind to our cells, to our estrogen. Um, we have little kind of like a lock that is on every cell that's an estrogen receptor. And these xenoestrogens that are out in the environment from chemicals actually bind to those estrogen receptors and they trick our body into thinking um, that it's an estrogen. So that is another whole thing that we are now exposed to as women with all of these chemicals constantly bombarding us um, and there, it's totally throwing off our balance of estrogen and progesterone, and it's totally throwing off our entire endocrine system. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, all of that sounds so familiar. <laughs> um, so obviously, ideally, if you were going to be helping someone with excess estrogen, you'd you know be sitting with them, maybe doing labs, definitely getting to know their constitution. But can you give some general recommendations for listeners who might see themselves and and what you just described? Yeah, well, um, one thing, you know, just that we should all be doing, obviously, there's no way for us to completely avoid chemicals in this um, day and age is just not possible. But the first thing is to really like look at our lives, you know, what foods are we eating that are wrapped in plastic? Are we drinking out of plastic water bottles? Are we, um, let's take a look at all of our household cleaners are we using natural, you know, vinegar and maybe an essential oil or something versus a uh, pledge or something like that? Um, are we looking at our body care products? Are they organic and natural? Like the more that we can kind of mitigate the amount of chemical bombardment that we're getting is going to be helpful. So obviously, again, we can't totally... Um, eliminate that, but we can look at what are the important vegetables to make sure we're buying organic. And and if we are going to be eating meat and dairy, those are things that are really, really important to eat organic and get grass-fed because the hormones and the antibiotics that are in conventionally farmed meats are also endocrine disruptors. So, you know, Meat is a whole subject. I know it's come up on here before, and I'm not even going to go into that. But if we are choosing to eat animal proteins, making sure that we're getting um, organic and grass-fed sources of that is really important for our hormonal balance. So just kind of looking at detoxifying our, our daily lives as much as possible um, is a big thing. And then movement, making sure that we're moving our bodies, that we're getting exercise, that our lymph is moving um, is really, really important. Like I said, that's our natural detoxification system. So I teach a lot about, um, you know, doing body brushing and using a gua sha and, you know, go out and get your blood moving, take a walk, take a hike, um, just get, get moving. And then within our diets, obviously, um, you know, eating a whole food-based diet and getting a lot of fiber. So with what I was talking about, the digestion and not going to the bathroom enough, a big thing is, is people aren't getting enough fiber in their diets. And fiber comes from whole fruits and vegetables and uh, legumes and whole grains. And just for a little bit of perspective, um, our paleo lithic ancestors were eating about 100 grams of fiber every day and the standard american diet has about eight grams of fiber in it and what we're shooting for kind of in the like holistic nutrition realm um, we're shooting for between 30 and 40 grams of fiber a day and what that actually looks like on your plate is would be six to nine servings I'm sorry, nine to 12 servings of vegetables a day, which is about um, a serving is a half a cup. So you could be looking at six to eight cups of leafy greens and broccoli and chard, kale, all those kinds of things. But even as someone who eats a organic diet, eating six cups of greens a day is a lot. Mm -hmm. And so we're just, we're not really hitting our mark on fiber. We're not getting enough um, like 
bulk in there that we can really keep our digestive system moving. So that's a really big one that I try and help bring that perspective of like how much we actually need to be getting of those vegetables and those legumes and, and whole grains into the diet. Um, and then, you know, of course, cutting out things like really looking at refined carbohydrates and refined grains and sugars and uh, the things that are going to be putting more of a load on this. Um, and, you know, liver support is just so important because our liver is really doing the job of detoxifying everything. But specifically as women, our hormones all have to be broken down and detoxified by our liver. And that actually is a pretty big load that we have on our liver just from our um, from detoxing our estrogen and our different uh, sex hormones. So liver support, you know, working with different herbs. I'm always trying to get women to do kind of food as medicine, but, you know, putting some burdock or some dandelion root into your bone broth or making some, you know, herbal decoctions over months and bringing those liver herbs in and just supporting our livers is a really puzzle as well. And one really easy way to do that, that you mentioned, I think in the article is um, bitters. And I'm just going to put a little plug in for your line of medicines. You make my favorite bitters and you have a number of flavors and they're in a spray bottle, which is just so much preferable to taking your bitters in dropper form. I love it. And since I've been using your spray for over a year now, and I just have it right there on the table and I take it with me when I travel, um, I, I use it almost every time before I eat a meal and just a really simple, don't even have to think about it way to support the liver and get those bitters in. Yeah. And I don't know what it is about the spray bottle. It's the same thing for me. For some reason, it helps me remember even more so than taking a tincture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Something about the spray, but it really just kind of coats the whole mouth and is really nice. Um, but yeah, bitters are such a great way. They're so easy. And you know, I make a few different bitters formulas, but I really try and bring some good warming spices into my bitters because that's one thing about bitter herbs is they tend to be really cold and really dry. And that can actually be really imbalancing for a lot of people's constitutions. And particularly during this season, the fall coming into winter where where we're kind of in the cold and dry season, uh, bitters can really throw people off. So you can bring in some like ginger and cinnamon and cardamom and some other warming herbs in there to make sure that they're not throwing you out of whack. Um, I kind of want to bridge here between, I want to get back into breast health and body care products. Cause I just think about this all the time that the things that are marketed to women to put on our bodies are so insanely toxic. I, I, I can't even believe it's legal. And I just feel like a true sadness for women who, who don't know, who don't understand what, what they're using. And I'm thinking specifically right now about deodorant and antiperspirants. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have, do you have things to say about that? I mean, I do. Yeah. Well, one, you know, we have, all of our lymph in the body drains right under our clavicles. So kind of right at the top of your breast under your um, clavicle bones is the subclavian vein, which is where all of the lymph, 
moves into the blood. So the biggest, all of your lymph drainage happens in our sort of breast region. And what can happen, um, basically sweat is, is one of the ways that our body detoxifies and gets rid of things. The other two being urine and stool. So, so it's the body's natural way of getting rid of toxins is through our sweat. And obviously we sweat through our armpits. And so with an antiperspirant with something that it has um, ingredients in it that are, are purposely making you not sweat, you are locking in toxins that are trying to get out. And not only are you locking them in, but you're like locking them in right around the breast tissue area, which um, you know, our breasts are mainly adipose tissue, so they're mainly fat tissue. And the thing that we know about fat tissue is that it accumulates heavy metals, it accumulates toxins. Uh, in Ayurveda, they talk about the concept of ama, which is is kind of toxic, uh, toxic buildup in the body. And the breast tissue or just fat tissue in general stores more ama, it stores more toxins. So if we're um, putting on that antiperspirant and we're not allowing ourselves to naturally detoxify through our sweat, then we're locking in those toxins right in an area of our body that one doesn't get a lot of movement and has a lot of natural stagnation. And then we have a lot of fat tissue, which just holds on to those toxins. Um, and in Ayurveda, they see that those toxins that kind of get lodged in the tissue, that's the underlying, that's where disease starts is, is from toxins getting lodged into the tissues. And also a lot of antiperspirants have aluminum in them and have heavy metals. And so, uh, you know, again, not only are you not allowing your body to naturally detoxify, but you are putting heavy metals in an area of your body that's going to store heavy metals. So it's just, it's, it's so unfortunate because, you know, I grew up, I would say until my you know, maybe 18 when I kind of became more of a hippie and was like, no deodorant, I'm not shaving my armpits. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we all grew up using antiperspirant deodorant and that's what's on the market for the everyday woman. And and now luckily there's a lot of brands where you can still wear some sort of natural deodorant that doesn't have that antiperspirant um, action. And, and that's the main thing that you really want to look for is like, you do not want to use an antiperspirant. And there's, you know, I always want to preface, like, there's no shame if you have been, or if that's what you thought was good or what you like. It's just, it's really important that we understand the mechanisms of how that's harming our bodies. And then we can make um, more informed decisions as we move forward. Yeah. I mean, totally. That's just how we were all raised and what was available at the store, you know, it, it just, yeah, didn't even question it until, until the information comes to you. And, um, oh, I forgot what I was going to say, but yeah, I haven't used antiperspirant in a long time. And I also don't shave my armpits and I've gone back and forth with shaving, but a few years ago, um, I got a staph infection in my armpit and it was from, nicking it while shaving and Nick that I didn't even notice it was so minuscule but we all have staff on the surface of our skin all the time and it just happened to move right in there and I was like this is really not worth it and then I got pregnant soon after that and the scar tissue and the scar buildup from where the staph infection had been and it got like lanced and I think maybe that lancing is what caused that 
um, caused me to start having um, plugged milk ducts while I was pregnant. I was like 37 weeks pregnant. I was like, what is happening? Uh, so I just decided it wasn't worth it for me. And I'm a like sweaty, stinky person. It's in my family. Um, so I really have to just kind of, you know, buck this uh, throat, cast off this cultural narrative that tells me that it's like disgusting to shave my armpits and to not use antiperspirant. And I use a number of different herbal deodorants. I kind of cycle through them and I love them all. And I just like refuse to be shamed for being a human with a human body. And I have been um, happy to discover that a lot of men as a heterosexual woman, like absolutely love it, you know, and like go crazy for seeing that I'm not doing those things to my body. Yeah. And I mean, also there's like such a natural, I mean, our pheromones are actual like sex. Yeah. Smell that come out that we're masking with um, with chemicals and with different synthetic fragrances. I forget exactly what um, like podcast I was listening to, but I heard this whole article or um, sort of interview that was talking with someone, and they were discussing that um, through using synthetic fragrances and synthetic smells, sometimes we match up with people that actually aren't a good match for us Mm -hmm. because we can't actually smell their, um, their real like pheromones. And that's such a way that we know that we've found someone that we're compatible with Mm -hmm. that I've that if you, you know, you like their smell and you kind of connect in that way and that through like masking and having all these synthetic fragrances, people are like having a harder time um, connecting through that kind of that like deeply um, animal animal. Yeah. Exchange of, yeah. The deeply primal animal sense of like, yes, I smell you. And like my body is registering that this is attractive. Yeah. It's a, it's a like subconscious exchange of genetic information with those, Mm -hmm. those pheromone signalings. And um, not to mention, of course, we now know from multiple studies that women who are on hormonal birth control have their pheromone pathways completely disrupted and will often choose a mate who once they go off birth control, they're like, what? I'm not into you. How did that happen? It's so interesting. It's just, it's really crazy. So, you know, that, that is a huge thing about deodorant and there is a lot of great natural options and I totally understand, you know, women who are in the workplace and really need to not have sweaty armpits and need to totally and there's a lot of great alternatives out there now and and finding one that's right for you and that that works well yeah Um, I want to acknowledge that too that being like in a workplace especially like a corporate workplace or anywhere where you're highly visible that's very different than me like being a stay-at-home mom writing my business at home I still would not use antiperspirant but I might use a little more um, like hardcore of a deodorant if I were in that situation and I guess just a little segue here while we're talking about this and just women in the workplace and something that just is coming up is I just want to talk about bras for a second. Oh yeah. I wanted to get into that too. Awesome. Um, as we're kind of talking about the lymphatic system and, you know, as I was saying, most of our 
all of the lymph in the body drains right here, right above our breasts. We have actually over a hundred different lymph nodes underneath our breast tissue, under our breasts. And so by wearing underwire bras or even not underwire, they could just be a sports bra, but if it's missized, if it's too tight, then we're actually cutting off the flow of the lymph underneath our breasts. And so I do a lot of lymphatic breast massage and I do a lot of breast checks for women. And what I find over and over, and I've even found on myself, which I hadn't, I don't think I've worn an underwire bra in a decade. Um, and as I first started getting into the lymphatic breast work, I realized that I had um, matted breast tissue like matted lymphatic tissue that was matted to my breastbone so underneath my um, breasts it felt kind of like if you've ever had a knot somewhere and you kind of feel that you can feel the adhesion you know you can feel the knot that's basically I could feel that all on the underside of my breasts and like I said I hadn't worn a, a underwire in 10 years that was old tissue that because that underwire is just sitting there um, it can it can literally like mat your tissue to the bone and then not only are you not getting good detoxification but you're getting a long-standing adhesion you're not getting good blood flow and so again there's no shame like if you love wearing underwires if you love the way they look if you need to wear one for your job uh, that's fine but I always kind of recommend for women to wear them just as long as they need and take them off as soon as possible, you know, like put it on in the parking lot at your job and take it off when you get into your car on the way home and like make sure to give yourself a nice little breast massage and get the like lymph and the blood and everything flowing under there and um, kind of a good rule of thumb when you're trying to figure it out is if you ever take off your um, you know bra and you have a mark like you have a line where you can see what you are wearing then it's too tight and you're definitely not getting good lymphatic flow so even if that's a sports bra or a little bralette and it's not sized right and you're you have a mark where it, where it was then you need to um, find something that fits better. And I always just recommend for women to go into one of those fancy bra stores. You don't have to buy anything, but they always will size you for free. Mm -hmm. um, so you can find out, you know, the exact amount of inches. Um, and and also just kind of another thing to think about is is what material our bras are made out of. Because a lot of undergarments are synthetic materials and again, we're, it's in an area that is, is really sensitive and it's up against our skin. So the more that we can use natural materials for our undergarments is really important as well. Yeah, isn't um, breast tissue really absorbent? That's the word, not absorptive. Yeah, breast tissue is very absorbent. And I mean, all of our tissue really is. And that's that's where this whole body care products is, is such a big thing too because anything that we put onto our skin it's actually bypassing you know if we put something into our mouth it goes through the digestive system and it goes through the liver and it kind of goes through its whole natural process of being detoxified in the body but when we put stuff directly on our skin it is bypassing that entire um, detox system and it's just being directly absorbed into the bloodstream and so I always love what Rosemary Gladstar says like don't put anything on your skin that you wouldn't put into your mouth mm -hmm. that's just I've 
always kind of loved that and really lived by that. And, and that's why when we're like looking at these products, like you said, even some of the more quote unquote natural, or there's, you know, marketing and branding is just so crazy these days. You go into, let's just say whole foods and look at the natural, uh, like lotions and soaps and stuff. And then you still turn some of those bottles over and read the ingredients and if you can't pronounce those words and you don't know what they are, then you probably shouldn't be putting it on your skin. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so confusing because now things are being marketed as like, oh, natural and healthy. And, and we still want to like turn it over and look and really see what's in there and make sure there's no parabens, there's no synthetic dyes, there's no, um, you know, just... I just look for words that I can't pronounce. And if <laughs> then I'm like, well, I don't really want that anyway. <laughs> yeah. If, for anyone who doesn't know who's listening, the word natural has absolutely no regulatory meaning on marketing and on bottles. It, it means absolutely nothing. Anyone can put that word on any product they want. Um, it's surprising actually how many things say natural and then you look at it and you're like, so what about this is actually natural? Yeah. And it's cause they have like one plant extract in there somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, again, not to shame any individual woman because it's our culture and it's the, um, the, like the heaviness of marketing and just this toxic, toxic culture that we've been a part of for so long, but I mean, just think about what women are expected to look like every day, especially in the workplace. And yeah, the so high heels, uh, maybe like really tight pantyhose or tights or pants of some kind that are restricting the belly, the uterus, that whole area, bras that uplift, you know, you can't have real boobs, you can't have saggy boobs in any way, um, antiperspirants, makeup, synthetic perfume, whatever other things we're putting on our bodies, maybe like hair products, makeup. I already said makeup. That's just, it's so much. It's so much. The toxic load is so heavy and the effect on our bodies is so real. And it's just um, what we've been told is real femininity. Right. And we just have to, you know, we, we can't, maybe we don't take all of that out. You know, maybe there's a special time and a place and you want to wear makeup and there's, of course, of course, but you know, we think about women are like getting manicures and pedicures. They're getting their hair dyed. They're getting eyelash extensions. They're getting, it's just like how many chemicals are we being exposed to? And maybe we're not at a place where we're ready to totally go like full cut out all of that and be 100% natural because some women aren't comfortable like that. And I totally understand, but it's kind of like maybe pick and choose the things that are really important that you feel like the thing you really want to hold on to and then and try and cut back on some of the other things. Cause you know, I was, um, just like, yeah, hair products and hair dye and hair straightening and, and, you know, nail polish remover and all just, there's so many things that, um, women more so than men are exposed to. And that's like just in the beauty care. We're not even like getting to like, okay, now, generally like women do a lot of cleaning as well and so they're the ones that are exposed to a lot of the cleaning products in the household and if those are full of chemicals then they're getting a lot more exposure to those and 
you know, we have things like new cars and new furniture, which has like flame retardant on them. And, you know, like the off-gassing of things that are new. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's something that I always like to just get people aware of. I'm not saying like, don't ever have anything that's new, but, you know, there is something just to buying things that are vintage and older one where, you know, not contributing as much to this mass marketing of new things, but also generally like furniture and rugs and things that are older have had a chance to off gas all of the toxic stuff that's on them. And then you don't have to deal with that. So, yeah, yeah. I just, we got a mattress off Craigslist um, this summer and I really liked it. And so I looked it up on Amazon cause we need another mattress and found the same one. And it's like warning, you know, this mattress contains chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer. It's like, wow, that's crazy. That's the world we're living in, you know, that, yeah. So like I said, there's no, you know, we just have to take baby steps. And it's like, if the first thing that you do is like, start using white vinegar to mop your floors instead of something else, like that's such a good step, you know? And if we can find a natural deodorant and if we can start, supporting our livers like through all of this supporting our livers will just help our bodies be able to deal with these heavier toxic loads and and really looking at our foods and making sure that we're not getting extra toxins in the foods that we eat and there's a really great resource um, that I like to share with with clients it's called the uh, dirty dozen and the clean 15 mm-hmm. you can google it but it's just a really great um little list of vegetables and fruits that are really important to buy organic. And then some of the the clean 15 are ones that you can actually get away with that are not organic, that are probably going to have less or not really have much residual pesticides. But the dirty dozen are ones that we're really saying like, hey, let's look out for these and try and not eat conventional because these are the ones that are in the chemicals. Yeah, like strawberries are, I think, maybe number one on the Dirty Dozen because they're so permeable. You're just basically eating those pesticides. And then, like, avocados are on the Clean 15 because that skin is so thick. That's like, you know, yeah, it's okay. Organic avocados can be expensive. Buy them non-organically and you're going to be all right. Right. And so we just have to take steps because I know it's not within everyone's, you know, availability in their daily lives to be able to eat fully organic and do this but it's like if we can kind of pick and choose the ways that we can be more natural that can really support our overall endocrine health long term it's really important for us as women yeah and um just real quick to touch on the natural cleaning products there's a great way to save money um literally the only two cleaning products i've used for the last 15 years are white vinegar and bonami and they get everything done that I need to clean in my house. And white vinegar is so cheap. So cheap. <laughs> Incredibly cheap. Bonami is too. Um, um, so breast health, like how do you have tips or techniques for breast self-massage or like what women should be looking for? And just, you know, general ideas for how to actually connect more with our breasts and be more present with them. I think so many women are completely cut off yeah well I will say some things here without going too much onto a tangent but um so 
You know, one thing that I think is really, really interesting that um, there's a woman, Christiane Northrup, she's an ND, she wrote the book Women's Bodies, Women's Wisdom, and I love what she says in there about reframing the breast self-exams, because actually in 2009, um, they started changing within the Western medicine realm. They changed the regulatory, they stopped telling women to have to do breast self exams. Cause what was happening is women were doing breast self exams. were finding a lump or something. We're coming in getting biopsies and they were finding massive amounts of benign um, lesions in women's breasts. So basically women were like getting freaked out, getting an invasive biopsy and nothing was wrong. And what Christiane Northrup talks about is this reframing as, you know, the breast self-exam used to just be like you do it once a month and you're looking for a lump and you're looking for cancer. And she just talks about kind of the laws of attraction and, and what are we really calling in. So I really love to just start out with this reframing of like, let's get to know our bodies. Let's um, feel our breast tissue every day so we can feel really like empowered in that. And if something does change, we're aware because we've been touching ourselves so much that we know that something is different and we can find things early. But instead of approaching your breasts in this kind of search and destroy attitude, instead we're, we're coming to our breast tissue and loving them up and juicing them up and getting our lymph moving and, you know, connecting uh, with our bodies. Because, you know, the breasts are so intuitive. It's such an intuitive center as women. And if you think about, you know, the way that we stand, like our breasts are literally the first thing that come in contact with the world around us. And through years of patriarchy and over-sexualization and, you know, just religious, all sorts of things, like we have been so shut down. And, um, you know, there's so many, women have so many stories, either maybe they feel like they have too much or not enough, or maybe there's been abuse or trauma or, you know, there's so much that comes up when we touch our breasts or even talk about our breast health. And so one of the ways that's so healing is to really just to start like loving ourselves and like accepting what we have and, and the beauty that breasts are. They're all so different and they're all so beautiful and just touching them and loving them and getting things moving in there every day is, is just really so important. So I highly recommend that women have some sort of a breast care practice. Um, I know you have a really lovely ebook on body oiling. And um, I actually think that body oiling is a great way to connect with the breast tissue. And I also have a, um, like a 30 page ebook that I wrote on lymphatic breast health. And it kind of talks a lot about that. But I think one of the main things for me is to really like get in there and explore the tissue more. When I first got a lymphatic breast check from my teacher, uh, Deanna Batdorf from the Deanna Center, she, I was just so amazed at like, they picked up my whole breast tissue off my breastbone and were like feeling underneath it and like feeling underneath my nipple. And I just was so blown away. I just had never really touched myself like that. And, you know, I touched my breasts before, but just the way that they were really getting in there and feeling, I just kind of had this huge breakdown and was like, what, 
whoa, I'm, you know, 27 years old at the time and I've been studying natural healing and how have I never even touched my own breast like this? And it, it brought up a lot of grief for me and it brought up a lot of anger and it brought up a lot of different emotions. But uh, since then, it has really inspired me to, um, you know, to share this work and to teach women how to touch their breasts and you know what we're kind of taught to just like gently touch and feel in a circle like that's that's really not always enough like we want to really get in there and massage the tissue and kind of feel underneath the tissue um to see what we're feeling for and um yeah there's you know there's a difference between what a lot of women experience in their breasts is kind of like a lumpiness or almost sometimes it can be called like ropey or um, it feels like fibrous and a lot of times women are feeling that and that's what they get nervous about because they're feeling kind of lumps in their breasts and we're kind of taught that lumps immediately mean bad but generally that's like cold and dry tissue that um our lymph kind of coagulates and can turn kind of lumpy. So by doing the breast massage and warming up the tissue and using a gua sha or using your hands and really getting in there and, and massaging the tissue, we can actually make a lot of change in the tissue and we can break a lot of that up. And um, yeah, there's specific things that we're, we're looking for as far as um, the more scary lumps in the breast. I don't know. Do you want me to touch on that? Or? Sure, sure. Um, well, there's really two main two main things that we're looking for when if something were to be more concerning or we'd want to kind of get further testing. And the first one um, is kind of as like a really hard lump that's possibly irregular in shape. Like you can kind of think of like maybe a a piece of a broken down piece of pumice or something where it's like not really round or soft and just kind of hard. And the thing about cysts or um, kind of congealed lymph or any of that other stuff is it's going to one ebb and flow with your cycle. And two, if you start doing breast massage and you start working with it, those things will shift. And if you find a hard lump that you're working on your breast tissue and it, it's not shifting and it's not changing and it's just kind of staying the same. Um, that is, is something to be concerned about. And, and the other thing about those lumps is they won't have pain where if you find a cyst in your breast, I don't know if you've ever had a breast cyst, but they're very painful. It's like a sharp, hot pain. Like you will probably say, ow. <laughs> and, um, and you know, you know, and some of the other lumps that we can sometimes find in our breasts, they might be sore. And that's kind of a sign that there's stagnation in the breast tissue. And that's our lymphatic system speaking to us that we need to do some work. But if we're finding that hard lump that has no pain and just will not change and at month by month is, is the same, that's definitely something that we want to go and get checked out further and oftentimes on women I found them right around the areola like underneath the nipple so that's a really good place to check as mm -hmm. well um, and then the other thing that we want to look out for um, is kind of it might 
initially feel like a cyst it feels kind of like a, a water balloon like you will find like a lump in your breast that feels kind of balloonish like tight um but when you're feeling around if you can kind of feel under it and stuff it actually will have like four little tentacles which are attaching it to your breastbone so if if there is a lump um, and it feels kind of like a, a tight water balloon and you feel it connected to your breastbone, mm -hmm. that's some, that can be a tumor. And so that's definitely something that you want to go and get more checked out. And so that's why it's so, so important that we're touching ourselves every day because if we are and something shifts, then we have the ability to make an informed and empowered decision about what we want to do. And, um, you know, there's generally, if we're looking for, we want to find, um, find out more, our options, our mammogram, which I know a lot of women are not thrilled about, and there is radiation, um, there's mammogram, there's thermography, which is like a heat scan of the body, and then there's ultrasound. And I, the one thing that I want to say about that is that I have worked with and spoken to many women who had mammograms and things didn't come up, but they showed up on thermography and vice versa, where people like didn't want a mammogram, so they got thermography, nothing showed up, but something showed up on the mammogram. Mm. And so none of these tests are like ironclad. And so if you are dealing with wanting to get something checked up more, I really recommend just doing all of them. Um, you know, it's a personal decision that each woman has to make. Ultrasound is a great way to go. A lot of doctors won't give an ultrasound unless you've had a positive mammogram. So you just have to kind of work with and find the right but, um, you know, just knowing that sometimes just doing one type of test might not, if you feel like something is, is not right and you get a test and it's, it's saying that everything's fine and intuitively you feel like something is off, then, I would always recommend trying a different type of test because I have seen some of those tests not pick up on things. So, Wow, that was all such good information, Anya. Thank you. Um, I want to just echo the, you know, the idea of becoming familiar with the terrain of your own body. Um, when I started my herbal body oiling practice, which I spoke about at length in a previous episode, um, I didn't have that as my goal in mind. I just noticed how much herbal body oiling calmed my nervous system down immediately and helped with um, muscle pain as well. And But over the years of doing it, I was like, I am so familiar with the terrain of my body. Like I know every nook and cranny because I've been trying to get this oil to seep in to the skin everywhere. And when I had that, um, that lump in my armpit a few years ago, and the intake nurse at the ER was asking me questions. And, you know, she got alarmed when I told her I had a lump in my armpit. And she's like, any idea how long it's been there? And I was like, yeah, since yesterday. And she was like, how do you know? And I was like, I just, I know my body. Like, I literally rub my armpit almost every day when I do this herbal body oiling. And it wasn't there the day before yesterday. And she was like, okay. Um, but I, you know, so I wasn't concerned. I knew it wasn't some long-standing tumor that I had just discovered because I just touched my armpit for the first time. Um, but yeah, I don't, 
you know, while you were talking, both of us are like squeezing our boobs and I can imagine I a lot of women <laughs> listening are doing the same thing, but I've never done that sort of a thorough exam. Like you were just mentioning, I've seen Deanna um, and her helpers do those before at the women's herbal symposium. Um, but it makes me want to just kind of get in there more, you know, to, like, don't be afraid to touch your own body. Don't be afraid to explore your own body. And, you know, I think a good thing to just remember, too, is if you find pain, that's actually a good sign. It does mean that there's work to be done and that stuff needs to, like, get worked out and needs to happen. But pain, both of those things that I was talking about that might require looking deeper, both of those don't have pain. So if you're finding lumps and they are not painful, that is like kind of a flag to like watch it for a couple of cycles, see if it shifts, see if it changes. But if you're finding areas in, and you're finding bumps and lumps and things and they are sore or they hurt, then that's actually a good sign. And that's your lymphatic system saying like, Hey, I really need you to do some work here. But um, those are things that are, are not as, as scary. So I think it's it's really important and I think that so many of us are sort of afraid to touch our own bodies and and you know our breasts deserve as much care as as like our hair or you know we spend time I mean maybe not every woman but women spend time doing their makeup or their hair or putting washing their face or all these other different things and if we spent 10 minutes a day massaging and rubbing our breasts um, it can make a world of difference. And I really love doing it like in a sauna or in a bath or after a shower. Once our body is warm, that heat really helps to liquefy the lymph so we can get a lot more work done that way. And it feels so good too. It feels so good to have your breasts touched in a non-sexual way or as a currently breastfeeding mother in a non-nursing way. Um, and, you know, we, we just forget how completely interconnected all parts of our bodies are and when I'm having back pain which is pretty frequent you know I'll notice that like a good breast massage of course improves my back pain because it's all it's all connected through there yeah and it's just such a big thing you know like you just mentioned breast tissue is so stagnant other than foreplay breastfeeding or if we have an actual self-care practice around our breasts like that tissue does not get movement and because it's mostly adipose tissue there's less blood flow bringing fresh oxygenated blood into that area than let's versus like a muscle and so there is just naturally more stagnation in that tissue and unless we're moving it like our breasts do not get enough movement and they need to be rubbed and they it's really healing to have them be touched non-sexually and a lot of women don't really know what that is like and I think it's it's really empowering and it's really um it's just something that I really hope that this conversation inspires women to get more curious and to kind of learn some more breast massage techniques and just to get in there and touch them and love them. Mm -hmm. Well, let's just touch on too how fetishized the female breast has become in our culture and how much shame so many of us have around our breasts not looking perfect, not looking like playboy perfect, porn perfect. Um, and just especially like when I was growing up, I was born in 1981, the 
and, and this is still very much out there, but so much through like the eighties and nineties, the only good breasts were like Pamela Anderson's. Um, and <laughs> you know, there's definitely like backlash and now with the internet, there's so many more, um, images out there, but it, it's still the dominant paradigm. And it's, I, you know, I have a cups and I was just so ashamed for so long, like that they should be bigger and they should look like that. And, um, it's taken me a long time to unwind the shame around that, or even like feeling comfortable with my husband seeing them sometimes I'm like, no, look away. Um, which is so silly and, you know, embarrassing to admit, but especially after breastfeeding, just how the breast tissue changes when you've nursed two kids. But, you know, the great thing is one thing that my teacher always says, like literally our tissue, like we are meat, right? Like our tissue is meat and it needs to be tenderized. It needs to be tenderized. (laughs) And through doing this work, we can enact so much change in our tissue like tissue that is more like saggy or flaccid or like what happens naturally to breast after breastfeeding through using a gua sha and doing lymphatic work we can actually like tonify and change our tissue and it's just a way that we can really um, become more comfortable and learn to love our bodies and that's kind of when I touched on our breasts being this really intuitive center as women and how shut down that's been I've really found that through the practice of breast massage and like getting more movement um, we're actually like becoming more um, in tune with this intuitive center that's been so shut down and so the more work that we do on our breasts the more that we're like unlocking this really big powerful tool we have as women to have this be a very intuitive center in our body and that we don't need to be so shut down around it that we can embrace it and we can stop slouching over and trying to hide ourselves um tell the good people what a gua sha is so a gua sha in ayurveda it literally translates um to gua sha means to spoon or scrape the lymph and it's a tool um, it's like a flat tool it's often made out of stone like you can find jade ones I really like wood ones but it's kind of like a wooden paddle and you use it at um, sort of like a 45 degree angle it's a little handheld it's a handheld thing and um you know, if, I don't know, maybe you can put a link in mm-hmm. in the show notes or something, but I have in my ebook, there's pictures of them so you can see that. And I have them for sale um, in my online shop. And if you don't have one, you can use a wooden spoon is great. You know what else is great that um, a Chinese medicine practitioner I see told me that she really prefers is just lids, like metal lids from jars. And you know, I have a wooden gua sha from Diana that I love, um, but that really works in a pinch if you have nothing else. Yeah, a lid is a great, like you just want to get something. And it's actually interesting. I was surprised that you can actually feel more of what's going on with your tissue using the tool because it like the way that it moves over bumps and lumps dry crunchy areas or you know our lymph is like a river and so we have some areas that are stagnant and some areas that are more dry and some areas that maybe are more inflamed and you know like we there's going to be different parts of our breast that feel really different. And that's part of this work is exploring the terrain of the tissue and kind of 
we want to work all of the tissue so it feels similar everywhere. And yeah, so the gua sha is just a great tool uh, for breast health and you can, um, get, you can look online or, um, check out my ebook and find more ways that you can, can use that gua sha on your breast. But that's what I, that's my daily practice is, is using a herbal body oil. I make a really nice breast oil and I know you do as well. Um, and you just, you know, rub your breast with the oil and then get in there with the, with the tool and just kind of move the lymph and move, um, get everything moving. And what you're really looking for is you want the skin to turn pink because the lymph feeds into the blood. So once we see that our blood is flowing, we know that our lymph is moving and we're always moving towards the heart. So you can use a gua sha on the whole body, but you would move from your hands to your heart and your feet to your heart and your head. And like I said, because all of the lymph drains there in our chest, we always, you know, you can go back and forth, but once you finish, you always want to be bringing the lymph kind of towards the drains. Um, that is so true what you said. Like you would think that your hand would be able to feel all the little like micro regions of of your body and of the skin and what's right beneath the surface when you're massaging it but using a gua sha you really can feel more like when the terrain changes when there's a little bump or whatever there yeah it's really really helpful so i i so encourage it and the reason that i love the wood ones is they last forever like the Stone ones are great, but I've broken a handful of them in the shower because they like slip off and then they break. Um, so I just like wood because it lasts forever. But like I said, wooden spoon, yeah, top of a jar lid, anything to just like it, you're using it at that 45 degree angle and you're just kind of moving back and forth and, and breaking up crunchies and breaking up areas of stagnation and getting the blood and lymph moving and and you're really not going to hurt yourself. The biggest thing that might happen if you're really like going to town is you might notice that you get what looks like a hickey or like a bruise starting to come up. And what that actually is, is lactic acid that is detoxing out of your tissue. Um, and so the more that you do this and the more tonified that your tissue gets, the less that will happen. But if you're ever using a gua sha and you're really working an area and you notice that you're getting kind of what looks like raspberries or hickeys, then that's what that is. And you just want to be careful and not go crazy. Like if you have something to do the next day and you don't want to be covered in. <laughs> oh man, I'm realizing that I haven't used my gua sha in months and I'm just remembering how good it feels. So I'm really excited to dig it up. Um, and I think we should wrap up. This was a lot of really good information and we could go so much longer. <laughs> I, know, I, can talk <laughs> I have like, I had so many more notes and questions written down. So maybe we'll do it again or we'll figure something out, but um, yeah, tell people where they can find you. And if you have anything coming up, yeah, well, I'm actually, um, I don't have anything coming up the next couple months. I'm kind of taking the winter to work on content and regroup a little bit, but you can find me at um, monomedicinals.net and there I have information on my private practice. So I have private practice. I do wellness mentorship with women, kind of 
combining herbalism and Ayurveda and functional and integrative medicine. I also have an online apothecary there where I make botanical medicines. So, um, and I've got a blog and I write quite often on my blog about all things kind of women's health and nutrition there. And also, if you're interested in studying herbalism and you're wanting to study in person, um, I am going to be core faculty for the Hawthorne Institute, which is an herb school based out of Southern Oregon. And they have a 450-hour foundations herbalism and Ayurveda program. So if you're interested in looking into that, you can find them at uh, you can Google the Hawthorne Institute and find more information about that. That's awesome. Um, okay. Thank you so much, Anya. Yeah. Thanks, Amber. Thanks so much for having me on. And I just hope that this has been, you know, inspiring for people to get out there and, and touch their boobs. <laughs> Thank you for taking these medicine stories in. I hope they inspire you to keep walking the mythic path of your own unfolding self. I love sharing information and will always put any relevant links in the show notes. You can find my blog, handmade herbal medicines, past podcast episodes, and a lot more at mythicmedicine.love. While you're there, I invite you to click the purple banner across the top of the page to take my quiz, which healing herb is your plant familiar? It's a fun and lighthearted quiz, but the results are really in-depth and designed to bring you into closer alignment with the medicine that you're in need of. If you love the show, please consider supporting my work at patreon.com slash medicine stories. There's some killer rewards there, um, exclusive content, access to online courses, free, beautiful, downloadable ebooks, coupon codes, giveaways, and just amazing gifts provided by past guests of the podcast. All of that stuff is at the $2 a month level. Um, for a little more, you can access my herbal ebook or my small online course. And that's all there as a thank you, a huge thank you from me and from my guests for listening, for supporting this work. I love figuring out what I can give to people on Patreon. It's so fun. And I love that Patreon makes it that you can um, contribute for such a small amount a month. I'm a crazy busy and overwhelmed mom and adding this project into my life has been a questionable move for sure, but I love doing it and I love the feedback that I get from you all. And I just pray that the Patreon continues to allow me the financial wiggle room to keep on doing it while giving back to everyone who's listening. Um, if you're unable to do that, or if you'd like to support further, I would love it if you would subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would review the podcast on iTunes too, really helps get it into other ears and it means so much to me when I read those reviews. It's um, like the highlight of my week when I check them and see new ones. And people are amazing. You guys are wonderful. Thank you so much. The music that opens and closes the show is by Marie Sue. M-A-R-I-E-E-S-I-O-U-X. It's from her song Wild Eyes, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Thank you so much. And I look forward to next time.